0: Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundredfold, and he said, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, "To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, at least they should turn to be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the words, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. Those are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold.
1: So we pray, Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. And you are a Father who is love. Father, but you're also a God who is holy. And your love cannot be in the presence of sin, and we confess that we are a sinful people who cannot stand in your presence because we are men and women of unclean lips, and we dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And Father, like the prophet Isaiah, we fall on our face when we realize who God is and who we are, and we say, woe unto us. But Father, we confess, not only are you a holy God and a righteous God who cannot be in the presence of sin because it violates your own nature, but you are a God who is gracious and merciful. And Father, rather than casting out us as we deserve, you are a God who has come to us to rescue us and bring us back into your presence and purify us by your refining fire. Father, we thank you. And we are unworthy to have our sins forgiven and to be in the presence of all glory and all beauty and all that is good in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you are a God who has set your lavish, extravagant love on us through Christ. And all who put their faith in Christ can have confidence not by what we have done, but because what Christ has done, we can stand before God and have peace with Him. Father, we thank You now because we don't get what we deserve. You have given us Your goodness in a world that reflects Your glory in the music, in the food, in the cultures, and good things that we can enjoy because we did not get what we deserve, but we get got Christ, he now freezes us to enjoy his world and to make his good news known to all people. And Father, may we be faithful today that we may see Christ and that we would not harden our hearts or be distracted or be choked by the things of this world, but our, may our hearts be tender and receptive and seeking christ each day that we may know him and be known by him father we need you and your spirit this hour to work through the exaltation of your son we pray and all god's people said you may be seated again if you're sitting in the back you'll probably get warm the air conditioning is not working back there it's towards the front so this is again my passive aggressive way to get you to move towards the front we may just save some money and not fix it so everybody moves forward. That's a joke. Um, If you were to go and hop on a um, plane and arrive in Paris, you might come to this chapel. The chapel, the Saint-Chapelle or something uh, fancy French sounding like this, you may come up in your little bike with a French baguette in there and you might notice this building and you might be, um, catch your attention because of the sheer size of it. And then you could see these oddly placed gargoyles sticking out the side of it and on the, um, the size and the grandeur of it. But probably when you're outside of this cathedral, one thing you will not be impressed by are the windows. Because when you're outside a cathedral, the windows are dull and lifeless and uh, not able to perceive what's happening. But if you are led inside and able to see the beauty that the windows possess, you will see the life and the beauty and the majesty of these windows, but only from the inside. Over the next few weeks, we'll be in Mark chapter 4, and we will see the beauty and the majesty of the parables. And the parables are much like stained glass windows. To the outsider, they're vague and they're lifeless, but to the insider, they reveal profound and beautiful things um, that capture our imagination, that reveal truth to us, that that teach us and guide us, but they're not recognized at first. We need to be led into the truth of the parables on the inside. Parables, you might have been grown grown up and here in Sunday school or from pulpits that parables are cute stories that make spiritual truth easier to understand. They're not. Actually, parables, as Jerry read the first half in chapter 4, we probably look at the parables and we're like, okay, what's, it's a story about a farm and a sower and some dirt. I, I don't get it. We have to be led inside to be able to see this. Parables, as we will say, see over the next few weeks, demand careful investigation and commitment that's impossible without a a trust in the one who is leading us into teaching us. Because parables on their own can't be understood. We need somebody to guide us onto the inside and to teach us the truth about the parables. Now, let me give you the context of where we are. For some of you, this might be your first time here, or you haven't been, and you're, you're not sure of the context where we are. Jesus has come and he has announced the arrival of the kingdom. He has one message that he's preaching to three different groups of people. The first group is the religious leaders who are cold, and they're arrogant, and they're opposed to him, and at this point in the book of Mark, they're plotting his death. They want him dead because he doesn't comply with their rules and follow their list. He doesn't play their reindeer games, and they want him dead. The second group is the crowds. The crowds are very receptive to Jesus, and they're excited about the teaching of Jesus, but they don't really get jesus and they're excited because of what jesus can do and they're significant we've never seen anybody like this before but at the the end of the day he says funny things and he does funny things and they go home until the next group comes to see what jesus will do for them and then finally you have the disciples and up to this point the disciples are receptive to jesus they have followed jesus they have left the tax booth they have left the fishing and they're following jesus but as we will see even the disciples don't really get it at this point. I think I've made the point already that the only people who get it right now are who? The demons. The demons realize the full war that has been declared and the invasion of the kingdom of God into the spirit of this world, and the demons flee, and they're, they're, they're scared. But right now, Jesus, as we see last week, he denounced those who say the work of God in Christ is demonic, and now he's showing us and continuing to show us what a heart that follows Jesus and what genuine believers of Jesus disciples are and what this follows it. So what Jesus is going to be teaching us today in this parable of the soils, that genuine disciples of Jesus, and, and I've tried to use that because we see Mark is teaching us this is what this is who Jesus is, and this is what genuine disciples of Jesus are. Genuine disciples of Jesus have hearts, and we'll learn that the soils are actually hearts have hearts that obey and commit to the kingdom of heaven. Genuine disciples have hearts that obey and commit to the kingdom of heaven. Now, to communicate this truth, Jesus begins with a parable, one of the most well-known parables, uh, the story of the soils. And Jesus, as he is by the Sea of Galilee, he draws this crowd that's been following to them, He sits in a boat and just off this floating pulpit, and then he begins to paint this beautiful metaphor. Some people have said where he was located, there may have been people on the hillsides that had begun to cast seeds, and he pointed up there, uh, or he's painting this metaphor in his mind, and then you see a sower who slowly and methodically and rhythmically casting the seeds out in a normal ordinary fields and as this story goes you can see the first soil that these seeds land on is the footpath and the footpaths at this time would run along the borders of the field but often um, they would cut right through the middle very similar to harvard yard you can see harvard yard they have paths of beautiful cobblestone that make x's in their yard because the students cut right through the middle on foot and over time in fields like this, those places, because of foot traffic and carts and animals, the ground gets very hard. And as Jesus paints this metaphor, he ca- the sower casts the seeds, and you can see the seed fall on the footpath and bounce off because it's, de- it's compact and it's hard. And immediately, the birds of the air, very similar when your children eat at the beach, they open their sandwich and the seagulls swoop down because they see lunch. the the birds of the air swoop down and they see the seeds and they take that seed and quickly run away because they see the lunch. Then you get to the second soil and it's a soil that Jesus described as the rocky ground. In Galilee, there was often um, the soil that had limestone and a lower rock that was hidden just a few inches below the surface that wasn't readily apparent there. And what would happen is the spring rains and the autumn rains would make that moist and rich, that little bit of topsoil. And so when the seed would fall, it would be put into the ground and immediately because of that nutrient rich little shallow layer, the seed would quickly uh, grow almost immediately, Mark says, and that it would grow. But as you can see, the spring rains give way to the scorching heat of the summer those shallow roots that cannot penetrate beyond the limestone and the shale, they quickly, that moisture evaporates and it gets dry and that seed cannot grow. And it shows, you can see this metaphor as Jesus paints, the withers and it dies. Then Jesus continues to the third type of soil, and it's a soil that's thorny ground. And at first, as the seed falls, you can't tell the difference between the regular ground and the thorny ground and the rocky ground and even the good soil because they all look the same, but hidden in the uh, ground in that soil are thorns and seeds of weeds that begin to grow up along with with the plant. And over time, as the longer of all the seeds grow, those weeds begin to grow up around the plant and they begin to choke that plant. And the, the weeds and the thorns go into the roots and they begin to choke it and sap it of the nutrients that it needs and slowly it turns brown and it dies and it withers and it's dead. And finally, Jesus, as he's finishing up this final metaphor, you can see good soil. As the sower begins to cast those seeds, you see over time the good the, uh, rains come and they feed it and the sun beats down on it and the soil begins to grow and the sprouts break through the ground and they grow and some have Uh, tillers that have two or three tillers or sprouts on them. And then you see some with three to five tillers and some with 10 to 20, all different types, and they grow strong until at the end of the metaphor in your mind as Jesus is teaching, you can see the amber waves of grain with hues of gold and brown and tan that paint the countryside in autumn because the good soil with combination of the good seed has grown and gone. And it's beautiful, and it sustains in different quantities. And then Jesus simply ends: "He who has an ear, <clears throat> to hear, let him hear." And that's the end of the story. And the crowd, the Pharisees, probably rolled their eyes. Oh, just a stupid story about uh, farmers and dirt. We have weightier matters of the law that we have to attend to. We're not here to hear stories about some farmer. And the crowds are like, well, yes, we, we, that was a wonderful story and imagery and metaphor you just painted, but all right, he healed them and did that, so let's go home. And finally, the disciples hear it as well, and they say, there's something going on there, something profound here, but we don't know. And then Mark, this is a Mark and sandwich, so you know, excited about this. You have the story and then the interpretation, but right in the middle, there's the story b where jesus is somewhere else and he says and he gives the understanding to the disciples to explain really the significance of what this parable is and what happens is as jesus says this he says in notice in verse 10 to 12 that each seed is an example of the heart And the key to understanding the parable is in verses 10 through 12. And Jesus said to them, to you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. These stories that have truth in the inside. One commentator used the example of from the outside, it looks like a worm. And the inside, there's the hook of truth that Jesus uses to to bring his disciples to him that they um, parable so that indeed they may see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven the kingdom of god brothers and sisters is a secret not because it's hidden some special knowledge a knock open sesame or something like this but it is not perceived by everyone You can talk about the gospel and you can point people to to Jesus, but the light's on and nobody's home. And because a natural mind does not understand the things of the spirits, the spirit has to bring understanding. The secret of the kingdom as the open secret of the kingdom, quite frankly, uh, can only be understood by those who are the inside genuine disciples of Jesus who are being led in truth and the truth of the gospel is being explained and ministered to heart by Jesus through his spirit on account of the declaration of the father as given to the apostles parables can only be understood from within until you enter the parable until you enter the kingdom of god by faith in Christ alone the parables are just vague stories whose meaning is veiled only those who have been given spiritual ears to hear will be understand the profound significance of the parables, and at that point they will respond in obedience and genuine commitment to Jesus. Now why do I say that? Well, because Jesus explains that through the authority of His word that has been given to the, the disciples. Oshenbarg, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and eyes to see the glory and the power and the majesty of Jesus who calls every one of us to follow him. Because genuine disciples of Jesus have hearts that obey and commit to the kingdom of God. Jesus gives four soils. But before he gets to the four soils, he explains the significance in verse 14 of the sower and the seed. He never defines who the sower is. At first, we understand the sower to be Jesus. But in fact, the sower is anyone who proclaims the word of God. I am sowing the word of God in your hearts. Jesus was sowing the word of God in the hearts of these crowds. All of us, when we share Christ, are sowing the word of God we can't produce growth in the hearts of people but we sow as we go methodically carefully in life as we share the message of the kingdom that says behold the kingdom of god is at hand in christ repent of your sin of your selfishness and believe in the gospel when you repent and you turn from your sinful ways, your own kingdom, your cosmic treason, your treasured sin, when you repent and turn, you turn from that and say yes to Christ, believing in the promises of the gospel that Jesus is the son of God who has come to pay the ransom for the sin that I deserve. And when I have trust in him, I I am in Christ, united to him, and he gives me his righteousness that I can stand before God not on my own goodness because there is none righteous but because when the father sees me he sees Jesus and if I say yes to the gospel that shows I'm saying no to this world and to the lies and half-truths of Satan I say yes to the gospel what does a heart that looks like that and Jesus begins to explain what a genuine disciple of Jesus and he gives us four hearts four responses to the gospel these are the four soils And I have a hard heart, a shallow heart, a distracted heart, and a committed heart. Hard, shallow, distracted, and committed. We see the first heart that Jesus says, the first soil, which is in verse 15. And these were the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. As we look at this metaphor that Jesus gives us, this parable, we see the footpath on the outsides and uh, through the the center of it where people went. It is dense and it is packed soil. And because of that, it repels the word of God. And over time, this constant pounding of feet and hooves and wheels uh, made it, by those who passed, made it impossible for the seed to penetrate and it simply bounced off and the birds swooped down to steal the seed. Now, Jesus is telling us that this hard heart is like the heart, the, this, heart, this di- hard soil is like the hard heart of those who hear the word and their hearts are so hardened that the truth of the gospel cannot penetrate, thus allowing Satan to distract and to divert every attempt the, um, to break through that heart. But let me ask you this, what causes the hardening of the heart. This constant foot um, traffic that beats down and hardens that soil. There's two things, the friction of the ordinary and the exposure to that which is contrary to the gospel. Let's see this first thing that condenses and compacts the heart, the friction of the ordinary. This is the gradual hardening of the heart by the monotony of a regular day-to-day routine That lives without reference to God. We see this more and more of our culture where children are growing up with no concept whatsoever of God, and many people in the church are so wrapped up in the wrong focus of the gospel, they have become functional atheists day to day. It's often not an explicit hatred of the gospel, because often when we think of hard hearts, we think of those grusts. Uh, new atheists, Hitchens and Dawkins, who are antagonistic towards the gospel. Yes, they have hard heart, but hard heart is the normal routine of the pounding of a life on the heart that is lived without reference to the existence of God. People that are too busy making ends meet, people that are too busy punching a time clock, getting the kids to their school and to their activities, keeping their heads above water to ever consider eternal things. The world is full of people that are trapped in a meaningless cycle of eating and sleeping, of working and resting, of pleasure and pain, of amusement and boredom, and they never stop to consider eternal things because they have no concept of that. Like a pair of shoes that is too tight, their hearts become slowly callous to the word of God. The godless monotony of everyday life gradually makes the heart unresponsive to the eternal. And when they hear the gospel, they have no categories, they have no desires, they have no appetite for eternal things, and because of that, Satan quickly swoops in, and when when they begin to even consider eternal things, Satan comes in and distracts them on more important everyday issues, and it distracts them from the eternal from contemplating that. And their hearts remain... Uh, hard because of the monotony of the ordinary. There are others. The hardening of heart is the exposure of that which is contrary to the gospel. Just as when you look directly at the sun, what happens? You destroy your eyes or you listen to music that is way too loud. It begins to deteriorate your hearing. Exposure to ideas and influences that run contrary to the gospel will slowly harden and deaden your heart. Godless presuppositions, um, pursuing sinful vices, treasuring what God has forbidden, uh, adopting evil prejudices. A, uh, time over time, the first time you feel bad and your conscience is, is struck, but over and over, time and time again, you become deadened to that sin and you no longer fear that regret and fear that, that punishment and it becomes, you become more comfortable in your sin. A person who believes in lies and half-truths of Satan begins to find the truth of God repugnant. A person who indulges in the fleeting sweetness of sin finds the way of righteousness repulsive over time. A person who adopts the ideological thinking of the world begins to see the word of God as foolish and bigoted, and it leaves their heart antagonistic and unresponsive to the gospel what we think about in these two categories, there are many people that have never been in the church or people that are are antagonistic towards the church. But a constant being in the church of empty religion and uh, stories that are familiar that you never pursue Christ over time, the familiarity of religion and of church will slowly deaden and harden your heart. J.C. Riles talks about this uh, in his his sermon that he preached over 100 years ago. That uh, after a while, the uh, endless, lifeless religion will make you repel the seed of the gospel because you're clinging to that which is familiar. Empty words and monotony that you go through, whether it be high church or whether it be ordinary Baptist church of the low church. He says this there are myriads of professing Christians. And this is 100 years ago. He was bishop in Liverpool in the early 1900s. In this state of soul, there is hardly a church or chapel where scores of them are not to be found. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to catch away the good seed that is sown in the face of their hearts. Week after week, they live on without faith and fear or knowledge or grace, feeling nothing, caring nothing talking no more interest in religion than if Christ had never died on the cross at all. In this state, they often die and are buried and are lost in hell forever. This is a mournful picture, but only too true. The safest place for a hard heart can be in the church because they're so familiar with the preaching and the stories and the music, it never penetrates their heart because their religion is so hard. There is hope for the hardened heart, but it hurts. It's a pickaxe. And it's a plow. It's the grace of God that plows, that breaks through the hard soil and turns it over that it may become soil for the, that the gospel can grow, but not without great pain. Sickness and loss, suffering and trials, weakness and confusion, not because God is cruel, because he loves you too much to leave you in a state of a hard heart. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, the hardness of God is kinder, kinder than the softness of men. God will not allow your heart to remain hardened and unresponsive to the saving truth of God. Ocean Park, may we be a people who hear the truth of God today and trust Christ by committing to follow him obedience because genuine disciples of Jesus have hearts that obey and commit to the kingdom of God. We see the hard heart in the first soil and now we see the shallow heart in verse 16 and 17. And there are ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. And then when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, oh, immediately they fall away. It's very easy to recognize a soil that's been made hard. Because you can see it, it's compact and packed down. But as we move to the next few types of soil, they all look the same at first. The rocky soil is buried beneath the surface and the weeds with the thorns are still, it, have not germinated and grown up. And the good soil looks like those other types of soil. But over time, we begin to recognize this, the difference between the shallow heart, and the distracted heart, and the committed hearts. And they all grow. For a little while, they all grow. We know Many of you have been in church long enough know people who have heard the gospel and have received the gospel. They've walked the aisle. They've made a decision. They've been baptized. They've uh, gone taught Sunday school classes. Their professions of faith were dramatic and emotional. They talked about Jesus. They sang about Jesus. Their decisions seemed sincere and their emotions were stirred. They followed Jesus with joy and enthusiasm. Or so we thought. But when the scorching heat of affliction rose, their faith withered and it died. When Jesus didn't do what they expected, when God did something they didn't like, it left them bitter and it left them jaded and cold to the gospel. Why is that? See, Jesus explains it is because their roots were shallow and superficial, and they haven't gone deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ And the the kingdom of God had not taken their hearts. uh, Ocean Park, when affliction like the sun, it brings growth to roots that are in good soil. But it withers the shallow, superficial professions of faith when their family rejects them as outcasts, when their friends and co-workers find their newfound religion unappealing, when their spouses or their significant others leave them, saying, this is certainly not what I signed up for. As Jesus says, when tribulation and persecution come, their faith withers and fades. Why is that? Because the roots are shallow and superficial, and it is not the work of God. There are many emotional appeals of preachers that play off the hopes and struggles and desires and fears of people. We can calculate, um, we can manipulate people with lights and music and emotions. and 17 verses of Just As I Am, we can dim the lights and do emotional appeals, and we can get somebody to come forward and to make a decision, to cry and to weep. But if their heart is not changed and their roots are not in the gospel, when time comes and the scorching sun of affliction comes, their roots are not embedded in Christ and they fade and they die. They wither immediately. Almost as quickly as the seed grew, it falls down because their faith was a work of man and not a work of God, the Holy Spirit. The gospel never penetrated to the depths of their hearts some had a decision and walked the aisle and did the ritual whatever it may be baptist catholic mormon muslim whatever that may be but the truth of the gospel never penetrated their heart they came to jesus for what they could get out of jesus not to make a commitment to jesus they wanted the blessings of jesus but also the comforts of the world they wanted health and wealth prosperity and security happiness and comfort but they did not want the trial and tribulation that causes faith to grow stronger Never had anyone to tell them the truth of the gospel, but they, they fed them empty platitudes and carnal desires and self-help preaching. And when times of tribulation and persecution arose, they were never rooted in Christ and they died. May those with shallow hearts today hear the truth of the word of God and trust Christ by committing their life to him that they may be saved. Because genuine disciples of Jesus have hearts that obey and commit to the gospel. There's the hard heart and the shallow heart and the distracted heart. In verses 18 and 19, the the other ones were sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and prove unfruitful. After a while, you can see that as Jesus is painting this metaphor, the seeds are lasting longer. The first seed immediately was taken away. The second seed sprung up, and then it came down. But this third soil, the seed lasted a lot longer. Enough for the seed to grow and the weeds and the thorn to grow as well. Brothers and sisters, I fear that this is the most common of the seeds. Of the soil, I should say. There's a new threat, and that's the the threat of thorns. Weeds with deadly thorns that lay hidden beneath the surface of the soil. They silently and gradually grow amongst the plants and seeds and choke it over there. And Jesus says there's three types of thorns. He says there's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things. The first thorn is the thorn of division cares of the world. The greatest obstacle to following Jesus is not Satan, but I believe the ordinary anxieties of life. Paychecks, diaper bags, and children, paying your mortgage and your rent, your bills and your credit card, your work stresses, your car repairs, your health concerns and your relationship. Things that distract us from the gospel are not always um, evil things. Many times, they're just the ordinary cares of living in this world that distract us from the tyranny, the tyranny of the urgent that distract us from the great things. The very things that Jesus says this, or Peter says this, Jesus said it through Peter. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. And here is the, this is one of these promises of the gospel. Casting your anxiety. Same Greek word as in our text, the cares of this world. Casting your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. One of the greatest things that chokes out faith is not casting your anxiety and being so worried about the things of this world that you can't serve God and worry. Either you will trust God and grow in your faith, or you become so preoccupied with the worries of this world that you will cling to them and, um, and walk away from God, and drift from your faith, and your faith will slowly, day after day, month after month, begin to be choked and withered and die. A heart distracted by the worry chokes out faith. The second type of thorn is the thorns of deception, the deceitfulness of, re- uh, of riches. Um, the second thorn endangers genuine faith is the love of money. The heart that begins to listen to the promises of health and wealth and financial security will watch their faith slowly uh, diminish as their compound, compound interest grows. Jesus tells us, and we'll see later on in Mark, you cannot serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God in money. Either your trust in God will choke out your love of money, or your love of money and security and wealth in this world and comfort will choke out your love for God. The weeds of worry are deadly, and the love of money is deadly. The empties of promises of money demand too much. A heart divided by riches is choked out, and their heart faith withers and dies. And probably in his, this is the, the third one, the thorns of desires. The third is the desires for other things. And I believe complacency and apathy are uh, uh, because of this thorn. And as a pastor I worry and I pray and I beg people. Don't let the thorns of desire destroy your faith. And I see it. People who once their faith was strong and vibrant and true, slowly, day after day, the other things come and choke their faith. Sleeping, traveling, working, fun. Family, sports, fishing, surfing, quilting, cars, food, family. I believe this is the most insidious thorn that is choking the hearts of the faithful. Little by little, the silent grip of the thorns begins to tighten as we are enjoying good things. See, this list, all these things are good things. Your children are good things. Quilting is good things. Cars and food and money. And those are good things. But when good things become ultimate things, they make it those worthless things. When our cares and our loves for other things, we watch our church attendance wane because I need a little extra sleep. I've been tired this week. I I need worried about my kids. I want to spend time with my kids. But what about your soul? What about feeding and cultivating your soul and finding rest in Christ? You need that. I know so many people that have sat in our pews and that once sang our song and loved the, the preaching and reading of the word have now chased after other things. And their, their hearts are being choked out and suffocated slowly. Their Bible reading is skipped and it's slowly eliminated because they have other things to do that are more pressing. Fellowships with believers is replaced with fellowships with other enthusiasts. Whatever they like to do, they spend time with them rather than the church who's designed for health and love and security. I've counseled many people in their faith as their love for other things has choked out their faith. Excuses are made, are abundant, and many of them good excuses. When will the word of God and Christ be a priority in your life instead of those other things? Denials are given, I would never do that, I would never do that, and then you look up six months, you haven't been to church and you haven't read your Bible, and fellowship is meaningless to you. And vows are made, oh, I'll be back, I'll do this. But let me remind you, brothers and sisters, you do what you love. What do you love? Do you love Jesus? And do you trust him to be able to say, I will seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all those other things will be added unto me, be taken care of, all those good things, that we can enjoy when Christ is our desire. A heart that is desires other things first chokes out faith. What is your focus? What is your love? What is your desire? Is it for Christ or is it for other things and deceitful things and good things? May those of us with distracted hearts today Find truth in God's word and trust Christ by committing our lives. Because genuine disciples of Jesus have hearts that obey and are committed to the kingdom of God. And the fourth soil after the hard heart and the shallow heart and the distracted heart is the committed heart. Verse 20. But those that were sown in the good soil and the others who hear the word of God and accept it and bear fruit 30 fold. And 60-fold and 100-fold. The final soil is the heart that hears the word and accepts it. You have ears to hear. You actually listen. Not like us husbands every once in a while or more. Yes, baby. Yes, sir. No, yes, ma'am. What did you just say? We're not listening. We hear the words and we can puppet them back, the last five or six words. But we're not listening because it's not penetrating in our heart and doing it. We're like Charlie Brown's teacher. And many of us with hard hearts and shallow hearts and distracted hearts hear what's going on, but it's not penetrating our heart because our hearts are not receptive to the word of God. Good soil is a heart that is fully devoted to the word of God. It knows our sinfulness and our inability to do good. And it turns to Christ in repentance. And what Christ does, this is the beauty of the gardener comes in and often, we'll take those, uh, that, that rock and remove that. And we'll prune out the, the, um, the thorns and the weeds. And, and when our hearts are hard, it'll break it with the gospel to soften our hearts. When tribulation and persecution arrive, rather than walking away, they look to Christ for strength. I trust you. You know what you're doing. Give me the strength to sustain myself because I need you every hour. When distractions and deceptions abound, they pursue Christ with intensity and intentionality. Brothers and sisters, if you don't make it a point every morning when you rise, whether 4 a.m. or 11 a.m., to open up the word of God before you do anything else, the world will overwhelm you and harden your heart. You need the word of God like a pickaxe to break apart that, that hard ground and to make it soft and tender and in light of that, be able to go on your day trusting Jesus who walks with me all the way. If you're not deliberate to do it, the world will have you and trample you down and harden your heart. I and the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in he him he is it that bears much fruit apart from me jesus you can do nothing you cannot grow on your own you need jesus and it's the good soil that says jesus Soften my heart, I need you, because there are rocks and thorns and hardness that comes. I need you, Jesus. And I need you, Jesus, to bring forth today the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I need you, Father, to send your Spirit, because of the work of Christ, to do this in my heart. J. Ryle continues, he says... The heart of men and women cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. Only the Spirit can, and the genuine people of that are genuine soil that is receptive to the gospel are those that are really um, receive Christ's truth in the bottom of their hearts, believe it implicitly, and obey it thoroughly. And these, the fruits of that truth will be seen, uniform and plain and unmistakable results in the heart and life. Sin will be truly hated. Mourned over, resisted, and renounced. Christ will be truly loved and trusted in, followed, loved, and obeyed. Holiness will show itself in their conversation and humility, spiritual mindedness, patience, meekness, and charity. There will be something that can be seen because true work of the Holy Ghost cannot be hid. Only the heart that is fully committed to the work of Christ with open hands and open hearts will see their need for Jesus, feel their inability because of the hardness and the stones and the thorns, and see the sufficiency of Christ to save them, and will say, I trust you today for the first time, and every day as I repent of my sin and my distractions and my loves of this world and follow Jesus. They follow Jesus because they see the beauty and the power and the glory that only can be seen from the inside. And those who are good soil endure to the end. There will be seasons when the scorching heat of tribulation causes you to wither and you become to feel overwhelmed. But it's the root of that are anchored deep into Christ, will sustain you in that scorching heat of tribulation. There will be times when the thorns begin to emerge unaware, that threaten their faith, but they call out to the faithful gardener who pulls those weeds and prunes the hearts tenderly. The commitment, the committed heart does not fail because it clings not to its own power and ability and goodness because it clings to Jesus and runs its roots deep into Jesus. It loves the gospel and trusts the gospel above all things. May we all have committed hearts today to hear the truth of God and to trust Christ by committing to follow him today and every day day of, his, of our lives because genuine disciples of Jesus have hearts that obey and commit to the kingdom of God. When Jesus gave that parable in verse 9, he closed by those words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. To, re, re, to ignore the word of God today is repel the seeds of the gospel by a hard heart or to allow the weeds and the stones and the rocks to cause your faith to wither, but to hear the word of God and to recognize our sinfulness, our inadequacies, our inability to save ourselves and to cry out to Jesus, I need you, I am yours, Lord, save me. In reality, there's only two types of soil. Those that are receptive to the gospel and those that are unreceptive to the gospel. What type of soil are you this morning?